All right, well, thank you, Tammy and Justin, for leading us in worship. Um, it's good to see you all. Haven't seen you for two months, um, and it's really great to be back and to be able to um, be here singing songs of worship uh, with you all this morning. And so, um, if you didn't know, I've been on a two-month sabbatical. It's something that our church believes very strongly in, that um, for our pastors, that every uh, four years we take a couple months off to um, to rest so that we might be able to um, recharge, but also um, be able to hear God speak to us um, during, during those times of rest. And so uh, just a big thank you to Daniel for holding everything down while I was gone. And uh, I listened to all the sermons uh, while I was gone and um, driving uh, many miles through the Pacific Northwest. And I especially appreciate his, um, uh, uh, his, guy, or his, his command to you all not to message me while I was gone. And so that was very kind of him, though it certainly would have been okay because I probably wouldn't have answered anyway. But um, yeah, so big thank you to uh, Daniel and um, for taking care of everything uh, while I was gone and really allowing me to rest. And I'm going to share some of the highlights from my trip a little bit um, as we get into today's message. Maybe not in the ways that you'd expect, um, but I'll share a little bit more about that. Um, as I said, uh, I was one one part of my sabbatical was a 22-day road trip through um, from here all the way up to the top of Washington State, where my uncle, who is a retired pastor, uh, he and his wife, my aunt, they've lived up there for almost 20 years. So I drove all the way up there. Took a long time, um, and then uh, so there were a lot of podcasts to be listened to on that journey, um, particularly all of the messages about the parables that. Daniel shared with us. And so, a parable is what? What is a parable? Does anyone remember the definition? He only did this every single week, right? Let me get you started. A word picture or a story that does what? <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. Daniel's official definition. I really wonder where he got it from. I wonder if anyone asked him. But he was talking about how parables are a word picture or a story that communicate a spiritual truth that has force on its audience, right? We got to hear many amazing messages about the wisdom of the kingdom of God as Jesus gives it to his disciples and other followers. Um, I think a question that could come up for us that's related to today's passage, I didn't do this intentionally, I was going to share this passage anyway, but um, I think a connection between what we've been hearing from the parables is just asking ourselves the question, why can we trust that these words of Jesus are actually so wise? When, you know, when we hear that God will, in the end, sort everything out, right, from the parable of the weeds, um, or uh, talking about the, the two sons, or the treasure in the field, all these different important messages we heard about the kingdom of God. We know there was great wisdom, but how do we know and how can we trust that these are, like, really good for us? And I really think it's because of who is saying it. And we're going to see that in today's message which is, um, it's a really, it's a well-known passage. Um, this is much more of an Easter message than anything, because it talks about the resurrection. Uh, while I was visiting my family the very first weekend of my sabbatical, 
Um, I got to do something that I had long wanted to do and never been able to do, but I got to visit um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, in Manhattan. You've heard me quote uh, Pastor Tim Keller many times. Um, he's been a preacher for many years uh, in the New York area, and I always wanted to go and hear him preach in person. Now, sadly, that did not happen because he's been retired for some time, but I got to visit one of the churches that's part of their kind of network of churches that have started with the original Redeemer Presbyterian Church, and it's the church my parents have been attending while they've been temporarily living in New York and um, helping to take care of my nephew, their grandson. Um, and it was a really great way to start the sabbatical because the passage that I heard brought me back to when I was the same age as some of you all sitting in the back, being in youth group before I came to this church and being at my parents' church and hearing about the road to Emmaus um, in the church that they went to. And it just brought back good memories. Now, it was a part of a series that they were giving, but just being taken back to that passage on this was literally day two of my sabbatical. I had told Daniel, I didn't really know what to expect about how God might be speaking to me. I had bought plane tickets, I had planned trips, I had planned the logistical parts of things, but I asked him to pray for me to see how God might be speaking. And this was like one of many answers that on the second day it was like, this passage that always stuck with me when I was a kid for reasons that I think we're gonna see in a moment, um, would be one that I could hear from on that first Sunday uh, that I wasn't here. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It's a lot of verses, but we'll go through them quickly. So if you've got your Bibles, you could turn there. But I want to read the whole story so we, um, we get the big picture of what um, is happening in this passage. And then we'll talk about um, what's going on there, but how this helps us understand that Jesus truly is trustworthy when he's teaching us about the kingdom of God in all the ways that um, Daniel so wonderfully shared with us over the past couple months. So Luke 24, we're starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these happened, since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were here, who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has now and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of, of the bread. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, these words that were written through your servant, Luke, um, just to tell the story of the risen Jesus, um, a part of the story, Lord. And we thank you, God, that these words can have such great meaning for us today. God, I pray that you'd be opening our hearts um, as we consider uh, now what we have just read, and that we would have open hearts to how you might be speaking to us and how we might be able to encounter you here this Sunday morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So many years ago, I was able, like I said, this is more of an Easter message. Many years ago, this was the message that I preached on on one of our Easter Sundays, but it happened to be one of those Sundays where the baptisms ran like super long, and I had to cut the, you know, the normal length message into like 10 minutes, and uh, I'm, I really hope we didn't record that, because the last time I preached on it, it was like trying to cut a 40-minute message down to 10 minutes. It's like, I'm sure it was incoherent, and it's like on the day where we're like the most celebratory at church, it was like, I remember thinking about it afterwards, like, I don't even think anything that I said made sense, because there's no way to talk about this passage in just 10 minutes. So today's the normal length time. It's not Easter, it's nowhere near Easter, um, but I think this is a really fascinating passage for us this morning. We're going to see three things in this passage that I think it kind of, uh, three questions that this kind of raises for us. Um, we're going to talk about for uh, Cleopas and the other follower who's with him as they interact with the resurrected Jesus, um, not seemingly unknowing, uh, unknowingly for a while. Um, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to see how um, this asks questions about what is a meaningful worldview, um, what does it mean to have a special experience? And then finally, uh, what does it mean that we get to uh, believe in a saving truth? So those are the three things that I think are, well, three of the many things that I think are on display in this uh, interaction between these three, uh, b between these three people, the two followers uh, and Jesus. So um, as we start, let's kind of get the context. We picked up in verse 13. And um, it says, that very day, and we'll see what that means in a moment, but two of them, they're walking to this village uh, named Emmaus, and they're talking about all these things that have happened. That's what it says in verse 14. Now, if you're, reading the, if you're reading the book of Luke, we started in verse 13, but this is the very last chapter in the book of Luke. And so what has just happened prior to this is that Jesus, as it says in the passage, has been crucified, has died on the cross, and all of his followers, amongst many other witnesses who saw this happen, are trying to figure out what does this mean and what has happened, right? And so when it says in verse 14, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, these were big things that had happened, and that's why they're discussing them. And we see this come up as Jesus um, 
uh, like kind of in disguise or something, but not being recognized by them, uh, comes to start this conversation with them. Um, we see this on display uh, as Jesus asks them what they're talking about. In verse 16, Jesus says, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And then they stand there, and they're looking sad. And then one of them, the only one we get a name for, Cleopas, this is what he says to Jesus. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like the fact that Jesus had been crucified was such a big deal that everyone must have been talking about it. And so when someone says, like, by the way, what are you guys talking about? Their assumption is that everyone is thinking about the events that have just happened. When Jesus comes up and says, what are you, what are you guys talking about? It would kind of be like if it was March of 2020 and Jesus came up and said, hey, what is this pandemic you all are talking about right now, right? Like, what, 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 is, what is going on? And we would be like, where have you been living? Like, are you living under a rock? Like, do you not know what's going on? Well, maybe at that point, all of us had to be, right? Because we were all stuck indoors. But it would be kind of like that, where there's something so relevant to this, you know, larger area, for someone not to know what was going on would have been very confusing to them, which is why they kind of call him on it. And the fact that it's Jesus under disguise in some way makes, you know, it, it makes it, it there's, a, there's a tinge of irony, I think, as he's, uh, as he's asking them that they'll realize later. And so um, as, they as, as he asks them what things, in verse 19, um, this is what they tell him when they actually answer his question. After they say, how could you not know? And in verse 19, it says this. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So they're describing what has just happened to Jesus. But I think what you see in the, the big picture mindset of these two followers of Jesus is really captured in verse 21 when they say this, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. As followers of Jesus, they had seen him, if you read the whole book of Luke, they had either seen or heard all of the many miracles that Jesus had done, a lot of the parables that Daniel has, they had heard a lot of the parables that Daniel's preached on, because uh, I think a good portion of our series came from Luke, some of it was from Matthew, right? And so in the ministry, the life and ministry of Jesus before he dies, there is this expectation that they have that he's going to come and redeem Israel. So for the Jewish people at this time, they had been living under Roman occupation. They didn't have any political rights of their own, at least not compared to Roman citizens. And they were hoping for a better a time where life would just be better. I think all of us can connect with that idea where we're just like, if one, if one or several things would change, like then my life would just be better. And so the idea that they wanted Israel to be redeemed, that was what they were really hoping for. And for many of them, for Jesus' followers, you have to consider they left their families at home to follow him, to learn about the kingdom of God. They had high expectations about what this was going to be. And they were believing that Jesus was the savior that was going to turn everything around and make their lives worthwhile. And it shows that when it comes to um, our like, worldviews of things, that was a big choice for the, for the followers of Jesus 
to like leave their families and follow Jesus because instead of just going along like kind of the normal way of life, they realized learning about the kingdom of God was a high priority for them. In some ways, it had some redemptive value um, to them, and that's why they were, uh, they were willing to do this, not just because they were intrigued by it or they saw the many miracles, but they were really hoping for a better life as a result of following Jesus or seeing, this guy's got the right kind of uh, like teaching or something, something's going to happen where it will just lead to a better life for me. I think we have our own ways of trying to find meaning in our lives or trying to find something similar to what these two followers were looking for. Right? They were hoping that life would be better than it is right now in this moment. I think we do this in small ways, but I think we also have big ways where we ask questions about what's most important, questions that Jesus' followers must have been asking. I don't know if you've ever lived life this way. I certainly do, often. Um, I kind of build my happiness based on like, what is that one thing I'm looking forward to, like in the next week or two? And like, just because that thing is going to happen, like, okay, I can just stomach everything else that will happen. I can, you know, take care of all my responsibilities until like there's, you know, that one day off or the perfect vacation or I don't know. That kind of got really weird for me while I was on sabbatical where there were two months where like I didn't have any responsibilities. I'll say more about that in a moment. Um, but when I was in seminary, I realized kind of like, even though this is a very uh, shallow way of thinking about it, it was like the thing that was most important to me during my weeks, uh, even though I'm studying God's word every day, this is going to sound terrible that I'm saying it, but I always looked forward to every Saturday when I would go um, to the Rose Bowl and watch my former school, the UCLA Bruins, play football that Saturday, um, where we would go have a big barbecue and just be able to um, just hang out with old friends. And it was like, I can get through Monday through Friday because then on Saturday, I know I've got this like fun event to look forward to, and because of that, I could kind of survive, right? Um, one highlight for me on this, on this trip was, I think there's a picture, this is the only picture I have in this slideshow, so if you want to see beautiful pictures of the Pacific Northwest, um, you, uh, I'll show you later, but um, this is Autzen Stadium in Eugene, Oregon. It's where the University of Oregon football team plays. It's a stadium I had always wanted to visit, and because I was going to be traveling up to the Northwest, I just, it just so happened that UCLA would be playing a game there in October, and, uh, and so I called a couple of my college friends, and uh, while I was driving back. I picked them up at the airport. We went to the game. Um, it's a beautiful place to watch football. Um, the, pan the fans there are so passionate. Um, and so when, when I had planned this, you know, it was long before the season had actually started. So when we got there, well, when we finally got to the game, it just turned out that both teams were undefeated, and it was probably the biggest UCLA football game, like in terms of like how well they were doing in the last 20 years, honestly. And so we hadn't planned it that way. It was super exciting to be there. I was really looking forward to it, and we promptly got destroyed. Now, fortunately for me, I had a lot of like more traveling to look forward to after that. But even I realized, like for many years, it was like my mood during like the week would depend on like. Did UCLA win last week? Like, if they didn't, then don't talk to me for a couple days because I'm going to be like, you know, insufferable. I'm going to be like angry. I'm going to be like hard to talk to. And this is a small way of saying something that like I had to look forward to. Like, it's not a spiritual thing at all. 
But when it comes to what the disciples uh, of Jesus, as they're trying to figure out what's going on, they had these high expectations that Jesus was going to come and redeem Israel. I had high expectations for this football game, and I exercised a lot of spiritual maturity in learning about like how God was teaching me just to enjoy something regardless of the outcome. And so anyway, for the followers of Jesus, the fact that he died and was crucified was raising a lot of questions for them. All these parables that they had heard, all this wonderful teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching that we've heard as well over the last couple weeks in the series. What does it all mean now? Like, yes, it was like really profound stuff, and we saw all these amazing miracles, but what does it mean now that Jesus is not here? And they knew to some degree that he was supposed to rise again. We'll talk more about that as we go. But really, they had these high hopes that if Jesus was the savior that they wanted him to be, that their lives would be better. Israel would experience redemption. And so before we move on further in this passage, I want to ask a question of application. What is it for us that we are looking that really brings our lives meaning that we are really hoping in this morning that we think will bring us the kind of meaning that these men were hoping for? I'm sure that there. Uh, I'm sure that for many of us watching the news, there we can see that there are many people in our country who were thinking that this past Tuesday, with the midterm elections, would bring either hope or despair, depending on what you what is important to you and what your uh, and and what the outcomes were. And we've talked on occasion about how we view the importance of politics in our world, um, but how we. Uh, but how we also want to see that um, regardless of what swings we've seen historically in our world and, and what happens in, our, in the political landscape, that Jesus really is the one true king. And I say this because our, many times we hope that if one particular candidate is elected, we think everything will change for the better, or, or we think the opposite. And then personally, we also think, if I just get that one job or that promotion, or if I get into this one school for you high school students who have been thinking, like, I want to get into like, this school, like, that will fulfill me. And these men are looking for the same thing. They're looking for an answer uh, to experience something meaningful that, has, like, that, that will help them know that they are following just the best uh, possible worldview. And so um, how did... Cleopas, this follower of Jesus and his companion, find an answer to what they were talking about? Let's keep reading as we go on. And so um, that was the first thing. We talked about how they have this deep uh, kind of hope that, um, like, and I use the word worldview because they had made a choice to follow Jesus, left their families, and listened to all his teaching, um, and to see how following him would hopefully bring some meaningful change in their life. And so, um, secondly, it shows how they get to, they get to have this really uh, amazing experience with Jesus. So points two and three for today about special experiences and saving truth, they're really going to kind of overlap and run together um, because of what's happening in the passage. Um, and you'll see what I mean as we get there. But let's keep reading in verse 22. And so the men tell the concealed or the um, unrecognizable Jesus um, they, they go on by saying, um, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. 
And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So there's a lot to unpack here. The men are telling Jesus, or this visitor that they're seeing, they're telling him, like, someone went to the tomb, and the body of Jesus is not there. And when you think about the big picture of prophecies about Jesus dying, like, this should be good news. But you have to see, like, because they didn't see him physically, even though the irony is he's right there with them, like, they're still searching for answers. And they're not sure what this empty tomb means. And that prompts a response from Jesus where he's saying, don't you see that it's a good thing that the tomb is empty? That some of your, some of your fellow followers, the women who went to the tomb, have found this tomb empty? Can't you see that that's a good thing? And verse 27 has always amazed me, uh, where it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so if you know your Old Testament, that's like early on in the, in the, like, the Old Testament, right? And then Moses and all the prophets, if you know the Old Testament, there's a lot of prophets. And it says, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, when we see the word scriptures here, it's not talking about the New Testament. It's talking about Old Testament scripture, right? Because the New Testament is kind of happening as like this interaction is happening, right? And then the early church and all that. Um, But there's so much about Jesus and the prophecies of his coming in the Old Testament, which makes you think, how long was this conversation that Jesus is explaining all of these things? And how could they possibly listen to all of that? Um, In a, you know, 2022 kind of uh, listening span, where Daniel and I are always trying to uh, control how long we talk up here, because we know we are not conditioned to long messages, and yet we can never seem to talk for less than 50 minutes, but we're working on it. Um, It makes me wonder what it was like uh, for these two followers of Jesus. But we'll see why they were so... um, they were so willing to listen as we go on. And so um, in verse 28, it says they drew near to the village to which they were going. And when it says he acted as, as if he were going farther, that he is referring to the concealed Jesus. So he's trying to make it look like he's not going to stay with them. But because it's towards the end of the day, which should tell us how long they've been walking, which will tell us how long like this conversation about the prophecies of Jesus has been taking place, like has been going. They say it's almost, they're, they're telling him, you have to stay with us. It's almost nighttime. It's late. It's not safe. Like, come and just stay with us. And so he does, right? And then something amazing happens as this is taking place. And so in verse 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And so just as we experience communion once every month at the the start of the month, right? You know, we see the bread broken. We do it very, we don't do it the same way that, you know, it was written here exactly. We have kind of, the church traditions have kind of changed how we do it, which is something we're always kind of thinking about. What's the best way to observe communion? But it's something we're familiar with if you've grown up going to church or if you've been a part of church for some time. It, in the course of a normal like, thing that would happen, they see Jesus break the bread, and it's like the, the confusion or the veil from their eyes is suddenly lifted. And when they see him break the bread, they realize, 
oh my gosh, it was Jesus walking with us this whole time. No wonder he could explain all the scriptures, like in all the prophecies uh, throughout this long journey. They finally realize he's right there. And then to me, the strangest part of this passage that I've always wondered about and thought a lot about this week as I was preparing this message, something that I've never actually had a good answer to, is what happens at the end of verse 31. They recognize him, and then he just disappears. Like, that seems really strange. Like, for some of our other Harry Potter fans who aren't here, who I thought would be here, who I know would appreciate this reference, it was like Jesus put on an invisibility cloak at that point. Or for you video game lovers, there's some kind of, like, I don't know, magic trap door or, like, something that makes you invisible somehow. How did Jesus just, like, magically disappear in this moment? And why was it at the moment they finally recognized him when this happened? And so, I'm really shocked by their response to this, because the response of Cleopas and the other follower of what happens when they recognize it's Jesus, but then he's gone, is not the same response that I would have had. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Because their response is this in verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they realized that this whole conversation, they realized after the fact that this had been an amazing and special time that they got to hear from Jesus throughout the whole journey to where they were going. And they realize it now that they say, they use this phrase, that their hearts were burning. What does it mean to have a burning heart? Um, Daryl Bach, one of the, who's probably considered the leading uh, commentary uh, uh, writer on the book of Luke, he, he describes this by just saying they realized that something special was happening amongst them on this whole journey. Like, for the leading commentator to put it that plainly shows that's, you know, we don't have to read too much more into it than that. But they realized this is what's, what was happening to them. And so the first thing that they say after Jesus magically vanishes from right before their eyes is they say, we're not like, oh man, don't you realize like, we were having this amazing time without realizing it where we were hearing all these things. Now, that's not what I would say if I was there. If I was there, I've had this question, like, burning, no pun intended, like, in my mind for, like, a long time thinking about this passage. I wanted to know, how did he do it? How did he just disappear? Or why didn't they say, like, if, why wouldn't they say, like, you know, Wait, he's here, and sure, our hearts were burning, we had this amazing experience, but where did you go, Jesus? And it's amazing to me that that is not written here. And the reason for that is for Luke, who is a very well-respected um, uh, historian, um, if you go to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, uh, Jeremiah will put it up on the, on the screen here, I've got it somewhere in there, um, I don't... How, I forgot to put it in my notes, but uh, if you know the intro to the book of Luke, he is saying that what he is doing as he writes this whole book is he's writing an orderly account where he interviews a lot of eyewitnesses about the life of Jesus and in order to portray the events as they actually happened. And so Luke, being someone whose intent was to tell the story of Jesus from a very trustworthy point of view, 
Today we have all kinds of questions about what news we can trust, what's fake news, yada, yada, yada. That's all the, you know, the product of the internet. Um, for Luke, his purpose was to tell the events as they actually happened. And so to write about the story of how Jesus is there, he's unrecognizable, but then they recognize him, and then he vanishes. My question would be, how did he do it, and where did he go? What's the science behind this? Like, was there a, like, how is, how is he there one minute and then not there the next moment? Now, here's the thing, and this is probably where I should draw my answer from, because Luke doesn't answer that question, because that's my question. That's not the response of Cleopas and the other follower, which I think is far more important for us, but we'll get to that in a moment. But if you think about it, if you are like me, and you can't get the like picture of, how did Jesus just magically disappear? Like, what kind of crazy ninja is Jesus that he could just do this, like, in this way? Like, you kind of have to ask yourself, well, if he's, if this is the resurrected Jesus because he's died and been dead because he was crucified a couple days before this, certainly the ability to just disappear if he's also been raised from the dead isn't like something that he can't manage, right? But here's the point. The amazing thing to me is that the disciples don't even, or Cleopas and the other follower, these two followers of Jesus, they don't ask, where did he go? They said, were not our hearts burning within us as he explained all the scriptures to us? And the reason that, I, I think the reason why they don't ask the question that I want to ask and that I'm wondering is because they realize whether they see Jesus physically or not anymore does not matter to them. And that's because the moment they recognized him, it meant that he truly was resurrected, that he truly did have power over life and death. And so at that point, it didn't matter to them anymore, all the questions that I have, because they could say, oh my gosh, what an amazing time we had with him, hearing about the prophecies and learning about the Old Testament scriptures. That is the thing that they say, it still boggles my mind. But it shows me that at that moment, they truly understood who the resurrected Jesus was, and that there was such an amazing uh, just impact that this had on them as they were hearing him explain the scriptures. And so a point of application for us as we think about, um, as we think about this whole interaction is that I, I think we really want to ask ourselves, do we value Jesus in the ways that these two followers do? where they're not concerned about where he is or where he went, but they're so overwhelmed by the fact that he is the son of God and that the impact of him explaining all the scriptures to them was so powerful. And so um, in one of Daniel's messages about the parables, he asked us this question about how we relate to God. And he said, for many of us, we might be more uh, like a spending quality time with God or hearing God's voice kind of person. We might not be like as well versed in the scriptures as we might want to be. Um, but, you know, we experience God in our own ways, right? And I would kind of put myself more in that, in that category compared to the other one. Or there are those of us who really connect with understanding God through the scriptures, through the knowledge of him. And Daniel was... Uh, just encouraging us to try to grow, grow in both of those areas. And I think that's a really good application when we think of just how powerful this realization was for uh, the followers when they realized this truly was the risen Jesus.
And I think this passage shows us that both are important. And what I mean by that is the experience of walking with Jesus and then finally realizing who it is, that was so powerful for them. But it's amazing to me that when they say, our hearts were burning, not just because they recognized that it was him, but our hearts were burning as he explained the scriptures to us. And that shows both the moment-by-moment relationship with God and also the, uh, just the understanding of the scriptures. Is these things, you can't have one without another. And this is, these are both a part of experiencing the amazing relationship that we can have with God. And I think this actually helps address the question that the two followers, Cleopas and the other one, had at the start, where they said, we had hoped that he would be the one who would come and redeem Israel. And clearly he is, not in the way that they expected. But if we are asking ourselves, do our hearts, like when we think about the special experiences that we have, like do we allow those to draw us closer to God in a way where it helps everything else that we have questions about make sense? Um, for those of us who might be wondering about the future of our world with everything we've been through with the pandemic or all the bad news we might hear on the news, if we're still searching for that one like you know, piece of good news because we think that might be the biggest difference maker, um, I pray that we would be able to see that knowing God, who he is, the son of God, and also his truth is the best thing that we can do to find hope for all of the, the, the deep questions that we might be having um, in, 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 our ta- in our current times right now. And so um, as, these, as these two followers are describing this amazing experience they had with Jesus, I got to have a lot of amazing experiences on my sabbatical. Um, Ken texted me at some point, and I responded with a picture, which was one of the most beautiful like beaches I had ever seen, which is on the very northeast corner of the state of Washington. And we had another friend on that on that text thread, and he was like, "Oh, you're just showing off now." And then at that point, I was like, "I probably shouldn't text anyone any more pictures because you know they'll just get jealous of the amazing scenery." But from all of the amazing things that I had kind of planned out uh, for my sabbatical, what was the most meaningful for me? was being able to reconnect with some friends from college and even from my youth group days that I hadn't seen and some of them for more than 10 years and to just talk about life and share life. And uh, one of my friends that I went to the football game with, uh, we were at UCLA together. We both served in the same campus ministry. And then we talked about friend, mutual friends that we had that we wanted to keep in touch with. And when I asked him, have you talked to this person recently? Have you talked to this person recently? Um, we would say, oh, maybe a little bit here or there. But the, a picture that we were seeing was that we realized that for many of our friends, we had uh, like a growing kind of separation in like our worldviews, different values, as he would describe it. And he said, as someone who still lives in the Bay Area and still values going to church, he said, for most of the friends, he's a different grade than me. Most of his friends that he was really close to, he said, no longer go to church, and it's not a value for them anymore. And I was so, like, amidst all the beautiful scenery, amidst all the crazy travels that were very meaningful, I found it the most meaningful where I got to sit down with this friend and talk about how we still had these shared values about how our relationship with God is very important to us in a world where, for a lot of people, a relationship with God is not something that, and maybe it's something they might be mildly interested in or it's something we're too busy for, for Cleopas and the other follower here. The second they realize that it's Jesus, 
it's such an overwhelming truth for them that he really was the son of God and they could really value this time where they got to hear the scriptures from him. So much so that the passage, passage ends with them going and declaring to the others that the Lord has risen and then wanting to make this known to other people. And so I want to challenge us today when we think about a relationship with God, do we have the same response to the risen Jesus as the way Cleopas did and this other follower? Do they realize who Jesus really is and that his word, that the scriptures, can actually help us answer all of the difficult questions that we might be having in our lives today? And it makes me really glad to be back here. And this is something that we can all grow in together as the body of Christ. And the thing that I missed, even though I got to reconnect with a lot of good friends, which was something that was very unexpected, I was amazed at how many spiritual conversations God had actually planned out for me that I didn't plan, like during this time off. But one thing I missed was the spiritual conversations that I get to have with you all, my brothers and sisters here in the body of Christ where we worship together every Sunday and, in the, and just in the bigger picture of what our church life looks like. And so I pray that we would be people who recognize the risen Jesus and value the scriptures in the same way that we see these two followers did and to see how that might be showing us how we might experience all the answers that we might need to what is most important for us in our worlds. And so um, I pray that we would see how the risen Jesus here, it shows us how trustworthy all the amazing wisdom we heard from Daniel in the parable series truly is, and that we could continue to grow together in God's word in this way. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it instructs us, that it helps us make sense of a lot of the crazy things that we see in our world. God, I pray for those of us who might be struggling with... Um, just what we see on TV, what we read in the news, or what we feel our purpose in life is, if we're asking these questions about uh, just what might redeem us, what might save us, God, I pray that we would turn to you to experience that. Lord, I pray that as we sing this last song together, that we can have our hearts and our minds um, renewed in a way where we want to follow you and read your word and put it into practice and see how that is, God, that is a way where we get to experience the power of the risen Lord that is with us. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.